0: Welcome to the Risk and Repeat Podcast, episode number 34. I'm Rob Wright, editor of Search Security, and I'm here with my site editor, Peter Lotion. Peter. Hi, Rob. Happy New Year. And happy New Year to you. It's good to be back in the studio after a long holiday break. Uh, I hope you're well. I am well. And and you? I'm good. I mean, there's no breaches. There's no serious uh, security snafus to discuss, uh, at least lately, that happened over the holiday break, so... Instead, we have a special episode of the podcast. We have an interview with yet another guest of Search Security, Dave Larson of Carrero Network Security. He is the COO and CTO of Carrero, and he came in uh, not too long ago to discuss DDoS mitigation and all the fun stuff that that entails. And as you know, Peter, yes, yeah, right, a lot to discuss about uh, in that realm. Yeah. Um I'm thinking of IoT-enabled attacks and vulnerabilities and all the problematic stuff that we've been talking about on the podcast recently. One of the things we discussed was uh, the discovery Carrero made recently of a new attack type, uh, a new amplification attack that uses LDAP. Not good. Not good. And then we also discussed um, how IoT devices are being enabled for obviously, uh, DDo, uh, DDoS attacks, and uh, also discuss the telecom operators, uh, telecom carrier role in all of this and sort of what they're doing and how they fit in, or more, I guess more importantly, what they're not doing. That was disappointing. Yeah. I, I don't want to get into sort of the specifics. We'll leave that to the podcast, but uh, very... Interesting discussion, and uh, Peter, thanks for arranging the meeting and, and getting in touch with Dave and, uh, and his team and having them come in. It was it was great.
1: Yeah, they were, it was. We're, we're very fortunate to have all these people nearby. Yes. or are willing to visit us. I
0: know, I know. Not in Chernobyl specifically, but in another part of the office. I don't think they would fit in here. It would be hotter than normal. It would there. be uncomfortable. <laughs> it would be uncomfortable. It really I mean, would.
1: We, we could get a bunch of people in here. They just couldn't all uh, sit.
0: They couldn't sit or no. speak. So there right. wouldn't be enough oxygen. Uh, That's right. <laughs> so without further ado, I will queue up the interview here. And uh, let's take a listen to Dave Larson of Carrera.
1: My name is Dave Larson and I'm joined here uh, with our Vice President of Marketing Stephanie Weigel from Carrero Network Security. As a bit of background, so my my title at the company is I am the uh, Chief Operating Officer and CTO at Carrero, uh, been with the company for about two and a half years, previously I was the CTO for HP Networking Globally, uh, and also uh, Vice President of Product Strategy for Tipping Point. So, what Carrero does is uh, we're in the business of building basically infinitely scalable automatic DDoS edge defenses. Uh, what that means is it's it's appropriate for any large-scale operation, whether it's a data center operator, whether it's a, a traditional carrier, uh, whether it is uh, a conglomerate operator of some kind. It's anywhere there's a significant amount of peering or dirty peering or transit edge bandwidth. Uh, And that could even be a private entity like a large gaming company or a large bank. Um, For us, the problem, one of the traditional problems with DDoS is you have to have enough capacity to deal with the problem to begin with. Uh, But then we would say, we would argue that if you have the capacity, then use it to your advantage and actually sink all the attacks, get rid of everything that's uh, a problem in the network, and allow the good traffic to transit. Uh, The problem with that is historically in the market there has not been technology that could do that. Uh, So it has always been deployed out of band in something known as a scrubbing center. Uh, We are very much a new entrant to the marketplace, although our product has been in the market now for almost two and a half years, almost commensurate with the day I joined the company. Um, And we have been deployed the majority of the time as an auto mitigation device at full capacity scale of the edge. So example customers that we have that are public are uh, Liquid Web as a hosting company, uh, large North American hosting company. Uh, Jagex is a large game hoster in the UK. Uh, They host a game called RuneScape. Uh, Million and a half subscribers, we've protected that network for two and a half years. That's been, uh, I'm familiar with that, that's been hit uh, a lot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't know why they're so insistent on uh, trying to take it down but uh, well believe me they they for a long time they were unable to sustain uh, their online contests and and things like that but with our solution in place they've been able to uh, run pretty much with minimal if any outage uh, and it's entirely auto mitigated We also have uh, service provider type entities, uh, Block Communications is a conglomerate operator in the Ohio, Pennsylvania uh, region. They have Telesystem, Line System, Buckeye Cable System are some of their brands. Uh, OTT uh, Communication in uh, in, in the Northeast, uh, Boston up into New Hampshire and uh, uh, Maine. Spirit Communications in the Carolinas, uh, uh, US dedicated a hosting operation in the West Coast and moving into them into the Midwest. You know, there's a whole bunch of different ones that I can point to. The cool thing about us though is that in almost all of those ones that I indicated, we are covering all of their edge bandwidth. Okay. So even the conglomerate operators, we're covering all and so block communications is a good example. We cover all of their peering bandwidth as a as a they offer cable phone, uh, VoIP, uh, uh, and wireless services, and we protect their entire edge, I think at about 180 gig of capacity in their region, and they are a very uh, vocal advocate for us because they deployed the product, it solves the problem, they don't have to think about it. They literally didn't, didn't add any people, they didn't add anything, we manage and operate the service for them with our hardware that they purchased in their environment.
0: Is that just a quick question? Is that sort of the normal uh, approach, normal model from customers? Is to buy the appliance and have you guys yes. manage it? Yeah, some that, can't. Yeah. There
1: are some. There are. We certainly have customers. We have government customers that cannot. They need to learn how to operate the product themselves. And of course, we provide professional services and training that allows them to do that. Um, but the majority of our customers, actually, frankly, if you look at the tier two and three operator space generally, Mm -hmm. none of them can afford their own security staff so they've never bought a product in the past because they couldn't operate it or they couldn't afford it either in many cases one of the reasons we're winning is our cost model is significantly lower from an acquisition cost to begin with but on the heels of the Mirai botnet attacks, we put uh, an announcement out into the market that says we will sell a terabit of managed DDoS capacity to an operator for a million dollars that's you know, that's, that's 25% of the cost mm-hmm. of what you would be able to buy that from uh, Arbor, just acquisition alone. And then Arbor doesn't manage it for you. You'd have to staff, you know, 11 to 15 people on a 24-7, 365 basis. So it simply is not, no one can address what we do. The beauty of it is, is we're not just saying we can do it. We have customers that have been in production for two years in this mode of operation, and they're happy to advocate for us. There's probably a good segue, though, uh, into why all this is relevant uh, in terms of what has been the evolution this year in the marketplace uh, with the IoT botnets and what does that portend for next year? What does this really look like and how, how do we take it seriously? So first, Krebs gets taken down. He didn't actually get taken offline initially. Um, the attack was the the first instance of the public public publicization of publication of the Mirai botnet uh, peaked at a little over 600 gig uh, as, as uh, indicated by Akamai but Akamai couldn't keep him because it cost them too much to mitigate the attack uh, and that has to do with the fact that they are implementing tools in their environment that are either sourced from competitors of mine or homegrown that require humans constantly doing things mm-hmm. uh, then there was a similar attack on OVH in France followed by the big takedown of Dine uh, the Friday before the election, which made every news site in the world because it basically took down the East Coast Twitter in the middle of election coverage. Yeah, um, not fun. The thing about that is, is that these are proof points of something that's going to become ubiquitous. Terabit attack is no longer, I mean, just the fact that three of them occurred uh, reliably in a space of three weeks, and the fact that the Mirai botnet code was made open source, Uh, We already are seeing evidence through our competitors or other cloud service offerings like Cloudflare is indicating that there are already derivatives of Mirai in use. Uh, I don't have telemetry so I can't speak authoritatively but I believe the attack on Dyne was derivative. It may have been Mirai but I don't think it was the same vectors. Uh, The vectors that are in the original Mirai, we've assessed them pretty carefully and I believe Dyne was up to handling them Mm. and yet they were still taken down. the main thing is that we think terabit is going to be commonplace uh we think it's going to be highly morphological uh, because these processor entities in cameras dvrs thermostats whatever they're, they're linux environments you can get them to do whatever you want and they have relatively high bandwidth yeah. uh, so when you get hundreds of thousands or millions of these devices together they're, they're a problem uh, so we think that's going to be the case but because that's the case it goes directly into our market motion, which says that really the end users have nothing they can do about this. And end users simply, without, with very few exceptions, end users don't have the capacity to deal. So this has to be done at the large cloud data center operation level, at the service provider level, where there is a bandwidth glut that can be brought to bear on the problem and still allow good traffic to transit into the network or through the network. And one of the interesting talking points that doesn't come out, I don't, in in our press release and even on the blog that we're putting out uh, today or tomorrow, I don't focus on this as an aggressive talking point, written, but in speaking points, I focus on the fact that if the service provider community doesn't do something about this, they will get regulated. Mm. Because the attack on Dyne already has legislation moving through Congress. And if they want to wait for that to become something, then I can guarantee it'll be more costly, less effective, and it'll just be a waste of their time. It won't actually get to the root of the problem. It'll just, it'll open them up to litigation. Because as soon as there's a compliance initiative or a regulatory requirement that they don't comply with, it means that they can suffer damages in terms of litigation. And so I've been, I I spoke at two telecommunication conferences, One. in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, one in Hilton Head last week, where I was advocating to community, you better take this seriously. This is no longer something you can say, oh, net neutrality, it's not our problem. We can't touch the bits. You have to touch the bits because you're the only people who have the bandwidth that can do it. We, we've talked
0: a lot in our, our podcast discussions about, yeah, what, I mean, is, is the inaction going to lead to legislation, regulation from lawmakers because they've got to do something. They can't just sit back and wait for, you know, terabyte attacks on government agencies and elections and so on and so forth. But do you think that, is that, I mean, obviously that there's a service provider and a a component here, but what about the manufacturers of the devices? Are they... Are yes, they, are they under the, the gun here too? I think it? they
1: are. I think I think cer- certainly it's interesting because in a in a global economy and the way these things are built and sourced, it's hard to decide how do you go to attach and get damages returned to you. Right. So in the case of the original Mirai stuff, most of that was attributed to a, a Chinese manufacturer of DVRs and cameras. Yep. And the main problem with it is was hard coded with credentials yeah. that couldn't be changed. So that manufacturer rightly issued a recall. The problem is there's almost nothing gonna force the recall. Uh, So even though they they have millions of devices that they have shipped, it is not clear to me how you can enforce the recall unless, as an edge provider, you identify that device is on your network and then blacklist it and say, no, it can't. The problem with even doing that is you have to actually get down into the set-top environment or the modem environment inside the house so that you get access to the MAC address of the originating offending device and then you can blacklist it there. So this isn't an easy problem to solve, but I think the ISPs have an obligation to at least take steps to show that they're taking the problem seriously so that they can, you know, in good faith state that they're trying to get it off their network. You know, they can hold end users accountable. They can certainly identify that the attack, is, and they can tell where it's coming from. Because right. it's gonna be masked behind an ad address that's associated with their edge router somewhere in the environment. And so they can say, okay, it's this, there's an offending Mirai device, it's in this particular thing, and I'm gonna shut you off entirely until you mitigate and take the system offline and, re- and send it for the recall. Uh, that they can do today, but they have to take it seriously. Uh, because think about it, even in that environment, even though it was largely localized, the attack, a lot of it was coming out of Asia Pacific, uh, it was still spread out among so many different uh, service provider entities that it wasn't hurting them. Yeah. Quick question, you mentioned net neutrality. Yeah. And uh, we've been hearing some talk, you know, with the change in governments and all. Yeah. Some talk about, well, what, you know, how likely is net neutrality? Depending on what they do in the position of the FCC, et cetera, yeah. Does getting rid of net neutrality change the picture? Or, no, or? <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think net neutrality really has any, any real bearing on DDoS, to be perfectly honest, because, well, what net neutrality is about, is about preferential treatment for economic gain or bias. Um, and it, it's intended to make that go away. And, right. and reasonable people can agree whether that's, uh, agree or disagree whether that's a, a, a hindrance or a, a help to the overall innovation and business environment. I, I personally don't take a position on that one. Uh, but what I can say is it definitively has nothing to do with whether or not you have the right to get rid of DDoS because DDoS is reliably identifiable as malicious. And so passing malicious traffic under the auspices of net neutrality is laziness, in my opinion. It's just saying I don't want to do it, uh, or I'm so used to the costs associated with doing it because I buy Arbor equipment and I don't want to expand my footprint to do it well. And I can understand that economic argument. The reality of it is is that we're changing it to a point where you can now, you can actually get to at least It's a weird word to use, but peering capacity with the attack. And you can do it economically. If you can get to a terabit for a million dollars, these these operators have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars, and none of them have a terabit of capability. In fact, just anecdotally, and we might be able to do this under uh, NDA if you're interested, our largest customer is a very large and growing hosting company that uh, in Q1 we announced they purchased 720 gig. We didn't announce them. They had to be unnamed. Uh, but they uh, they purchased 720 gig of capacity that they've deployed in their environment. Wow. They have more capacity at DDoS than at and and Verizon combined. I, okay, so,
0: yeah, so why, I mean, I know that, that especially like Verizon, they do their data breach report, they've tried to make investments in security over the last, I don't know how many years. Why is this security issue, this component, why is it eluding them? I mean, I know, I know you said it's cost, but... No,
1: it is cost. It's entirely business. It's cost, 100%. Wow. And, but it has to do with how they got here. Yeah. So, it, you know, DDoS has been around for two decades. Yeah, yeah. And for the first decade, no one could do anything about it. And it also wasn't very big. Right, right. Because there wasn't enough bandwidth capacity to actually focus yeah. events of yeah. size. But then a decade ago, that started to change. And Arbor was in the market with a very, very powerful visualization tool, which they still have mm. in the form of peak flow. Uh, mm-hmm. And they rec- recognize that, well, yeah, you can black hole the victim. Yeah. But actually, this is all done with routing protocols. Why don't you just shift it off to the side, and we'll do something about it. And we'll right. see if we can do some deep packet inspection and mitigate some of it. And they built a tremendous business doing that. The problem is that. Every carrier adopted it yeah. and has instrumented it, and they don't want to change. And they don't want to change, yeah. so they want to they want to be in these routing these scrubbing center localized environments, and they don't want to change. And it, it literally it costs them, in terms of operational costs alone, more than it costs them to acquire That's it. Unbelievable. And and we're starting to get some interest and in gain some right, traction, right. but we're making a statement that you can reliably put this product in line with your traffic. Now, and from a carrier perspective, it doesn't mean deploy it on every peering edge link because just the logistics of that alone are difficult. But it means building your, your capacity in such a way that you can divert people constantly through it. And so in effect, it's always on. And you can start to think about using some new MPLS VRF structures the way they were intended and not be using Route re-injection and black hole and, and excuse me, route re-injection and GRE backhaul and all this other stuff that's fragile, that is one of the reasons that it's operationally intensive. Um, and so we see these hosting operators that basically have clean edges, really high capacity, clean edges, say, okay, I'll just do that. They don't. So this this hosting operator has this at seven hundred twenty gig. They're not. We're not in line with all of their peering. They happen to be massive in their peering because they have a very large. Uh, uh, client base but they scaled us to the what they perceive as the size of the attack and now they also notice that this size of the attack is bigger so we're engaged with them about how we can expand their footprint next year um, if the big operators like the verizons and the at and t's deutsche telecoms british telecoms don't take that same approach they're going to lose this revenue yeah. to the over the tops over the top services like prolexic yeah. like cloudflare they're going to lose it to the hosting and providers and they're just going to be relegated to being selling bandwidth. And they say publicly that that's they want more revenue-bearing services, but they also are big, giant, hard-to-turn aircraft carriers. Yeah, it's
0: just it's it's really it's. You think about the bandwidth that they have. Yes, even a place like Amazon,
1: they they could. Well, no, now Amazon, I think, is. Yeah. So Amazon now is is offering certain kinds of capability from a DDoS perspective at layer three and four in their environment for free. Right. All right. But I mean, they could. Google is doing it too. Yeah. In fact, Google now protects Krebs. Right. Uh, But the shield. uh, yeah, Yeah. They. But that's the way they originally went into market. Is it's pro bono for nonprofits. Yeah. So, and, and you can see them, because they don't want, they, they have to match the growth of their capability to the scale. Right. And if they offered it as a, as a revenue bearing service, everyone would take it. It's just those two operators alone are proof that the big guys better start to get away from this legacy um, model or they, they simply won't, you know, they won't be able to compete. I mean, they built it originally to protect themselves. They didn't really build it a revenue protection. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It's... Because they were carrying these attacks that were suf- they were suffering from. Right. Because it's, oftentimes it's against their own IPs because their customers represent their IPs. Yeah. So yeah. They, don't, they, they, they had to. They had to lock down their edge, and they did a good job, and Arbor built a good business. It just doesn't work in the modern attack landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, uh, in terms of our news, is that you know, we also, in the last month or so, announced a new zero day. Uh, and that zero day is connectionless LDAP, reflection and amplification vector. Now, now, if you're a security person, you should immediately do that face. Yeah. <laughs> like you, should say, you should say LDAP is an open service on yeah. the internet.
0: Yeah, because there was a big, like I remember seeing that and
1: thinking, wow, I can't believe that. So I couldn't believe it either. And so I did a quick, I don't spend my life deep in showdown, but I did a showdown search and I see 100,000 North American entries that will respond to LDAP openly on the internet. That's just staggering. And so that's another area where the service providers need to get involved in two dimensions. Right. One they they could just be performing some consultative services to their customers using tools like Shodan and saying, do you realize this is not a good idea? And it's not allowable, according to our SLAs, for you to do this. Get that off. Put it behind a firewall. Uh, That's number one. But two, any zero-day reflection and amplification technique is dangerous when it's a zero-day because it will be used by the one person who knows it. Reflection and amplification techniques, once they're public, they become diffuse. Yeah, because everybody reflects, and eventually it gets remediated, and people fix the problem because they don't want to deal with the inbound request traffic that's going right. on. Right. So, the more and more of these are going to occur because tools like Shodan exist. You can see what will respond. So now you can use that as okay. What are the backdrop of things that I can go and see if I can reflect off it? The the thing about it was. This reflection, the very first time we ever saw it, was 70 gig. In Instantaneously, 70 gig against one website. Wow. Uh, it was in a hosted environment that we protect. Uh, we monitor, we manage for them, so our security operations team saw it. Uh, the cool thing about our solution is that we 100% mitigated it, without false positives, without anything. No one ever knew. Uh, our our customers, the hosting data center, was unaware that it was going on, except that they could see it in our reports after right. the fact. Sure. We did send them alerts, so they respond to the alerts.
0: You gotta let them know the, yeah, yeah, what yeah, they're yeah. paying for. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a big thing going
1: on. And then the customer that was the victim, the intended victim, never knew and has not been told. Wow. Uh, it was a, we can't even tell what it was, looked like a politically motivated, it was a, a Middle Eastern uh, yeah. language site. There have been we, a lot of those. Yeah, it, we we you know we make no comments about uh, motiv- motivations on the geopolitical realm. But everybody gets attacked. So, But the cool thing about this is, from our perspective, is that we were able to mitigate it. No human did anything. It just works. The scary thing about it is that there are going to be other ones like it. And in environments that aren't protected by our tool, people need to know that port 389 UDP is a problem so that they can pre-stage yeah. a countermeasure. Uh, We made the press release in that way so that Arbor can put a countermeasure so that Prolexa can do it, so CloudFlare can do it, everyone can do it. It's actually in the best interest of the community to share that information uh, and get it out there. It also, self-serving allows us to claim victory in something and get some marketing benefit. Sure. Um, Um, But if the customer doesn't know, shouldn't they know? It sounds like, uh, because... It's not, it's not, in our, we don't know. Maybe they do know. It's Uh not our, it's, the victim was not our customer; is the oh, customer yeah, of our customer, customer. Okay. right? Um, right. So and as they, far as we knew, they had not communicated it because, so for, customer, for your whatever reason, has to yes. Them. yeah.
0: Okay. But uh, I think that's a good point too, though. Right. To yes. not Because we, our customers, are utilizing our technology to resell right. as a service to their customers for additional yes. right. revenue opportunities. So in a situation, if that hosting provider was selling a service, they would say, "Hey, you were blocked. That's yeah. you know, right. your monthly fee has been successful. Thank right. you for your business." Yeah. Yeah.
1: But this is a case where this particular service provider is not yet offering it as a paid service. It's just default in their environment. They claim in generic terms that they give deed protection to their customers, but they don't have SLAs associated with it that are asking people to charge for it. They're looking into it. And I think the reason that they don't communicate downstream to their customers as much as you might expect is that they're still not sure what they want to charge for it. they're in a business assessment model, so they just rather just keep it quiet. Is that a normal practice? Normal yes, practice? actually, about right. 50-50. Huh. So Block Communications, which is a regional service provider, does not charge. Hmm. This is part of their service. They look at it as just good business.
0: Right. Competitive right. differentiator. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You just get this you capability. Get this. Yeah. And because they don't charge for it, they also view themselves as being less likely to be taken to task if an event occurs that gets through us, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So they don't have an SLA that they have to meet, they just, this is our, yeah. we give you, we give you better, you know, we give you premium service and it includes a measure of DDoS capability. The reality of it is they're very happy about it because very, very little if anything actually gets through the system. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but one of the other talking points that, you know, we ask, we constantly ask folks in your position to help us carry the water uh, with the service providers is Ingress filtering. Well, the biggest problem of volumetric DDoS attack is reflection attacks. All of them rely yeah. on the fact that services on the internet respond to spoofed. So if you're an operator yeah. of your Verizon here in in uh, you know the 128 belt, and your clients are sending Chinese source IP addresses because uh, someone's trying to attack something over yep. in China. Yep. You should stop that. Yeah. There's no reason that the, every provider edge router, access router in the world is capable of implementing ingress filtering. Why do you think that they don't? That would—that's a huge. I mean, it affects them. Yeah, but it, you know what? There's a, there's an underlying business driver for why they don't. Okay. All of the big operators rely on peering agreements that they audit for balance. Okay. And it's good sometimes to send traffic even if it's junk. That's direction <laughs> I, was, I, I hate to say it, it is I, and i don't even know i don't myself fully understand it yeah it's very easy for them to drop the traffic in the last mile yeah heading to the customer they prefer not to from a balance of trade perspective in the other direction it's okay. very 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 strange i guess the, there's
0: a certain logic to that but it just like you said it seems like it'd be so easy i mean. I definitely feel like there's more conversations now about you know from an enterprise perspective monitoring your outbound traffic and doing some type of fel- so do you know not only if there are suspicious uploads from inside your organization yeah why is this person sending you know reams of data to you know some some cloud account or you know third party or whatever but but also i mean like i don't I don't think like we wouldn't want to be part of. You know, a botnet onslaught. Like we wouldn't. It'd be nice if we knew that we had devices, like some of our hotspots or other devices, that had been compromised. Because yeah. that's not only is it can it be used for a DDoS attack. It could be, oh yeah, it could be used for other things, and we should probably yes. know about it. And that's like if you, if you if you're only being used for a DDoS attack, you know the the stuff you know your compromised devices. I think you are get off pretty easily. I agree with that. And it's a great way to find out that you are. You've been had, and you're owned. owned. Yeah, you're you're boned, as they say in yeah. the landscape.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's boned. true. Yeah. No, it's true. You, everything you're saying it's, is true. Thank you. <laughs> and it, no, and, and, and no, and that's why. That's why. I think. Look, the, the modern consumer of internet te, of internet bandwidth and technology and services, whatever, is looking for someone who is attuned to this kind of thing. Right. And so, what I think that one of the ironies is. Is that the Dyn attack uh, was largely uh, from a service provider standpoint? At least the one that talked about it the most was Level Three, Yeah. All right? And there's reasons for that. Le- but Level Three is a very ardent proponent of provider-based DDoS mitigation. They 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 uh, bought Black Lotus. They have been growing their capacity in terms of what they're doing. I find it ironic that they're the ones that are in the middle of the Dyn thing, uh, in in the sense that. They've been very vocal, they've been talking about it. Dynah has been very vocal, they've been talking about what they did. Yeah. Both organizations frankly did a fabulous job of getting of, of being able to match the problem very, very quickly, even though, frankly, it was 12 hours before they were able to get to the point where they were no longer suffering under the attacks. Um, or I don't I'm, I'm not even 100 percent sure that it was 12 hours, but it's on the order of a day ish. Um, but at some point, some of these competitive, incoming, big entities that are competing for the Verizon and the AT&T footprints, they're going to just do this. Yeah. And Verizon and AT&T are going to start losing business customers, which yeah. is where that's where their main bread and butter is from a real revenue point of view. Right. And ultimately, they'll lose gamers. They're going to lose the, 20, the teenage to 20-something to 30-somethings they can't stand the fact that they're constantly knocked off their games yeah,
0: yeah. or 40 something in yeah. my case. yeah yeah, yeah. So, but you know you are yeah. saying it oh, yeah yeah,
1: yeah. It. ddos is an accepted ta- tactic in the game it, it, it's part of it's, the, insane. it's part of the game but the problem is is that that dynamic is educating the future yeah. attackers yeah. these these kids these kids are they're so talented and they have an entirely different they
0: have a totally different mindset
1: they have a totally different mindset and they're good isn't it? It's it's kind of remarkable. I, I think all that means is the pace of change is not going right. to get less. Right. <laughs> the the evolution of the tools is just going to become more rapid, more complex, more effective. I use a word all the time. Stephanie laughs at me. I always use this word hygiene, because network hygiene, operator hygiene, security hygiene. It is if you just do all of the stuff you should do. You're going to solve ninety percent of the problem. Yeah. Um, so BCP thirty-eight, best best current practice of ingress filtering. Hmm. Uh, you know, just good passwords, uh, monitoring your end users for for what kinds of services they are displaying to the world, and counseling them. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Just l- little simple things like that, and you do, and you don't have to spend a whole lot to do that. It's just right. ingraining them into your organizational. DNA. This is, is what we do when we deploy an edge router, it has ing- ingress filtering, when we onboard a customer uh, or periodically we scan them to see what they have. And we offer it to them as a service or a mandatory part of them being my customer. Yeah. Say, so, yeah, we're going to come scan you every once in a while, we'll let you know when we're going to do it, but we, we need to see what services are available on the net so that we can understand where we're probably